stock market's doing well. They got money in their pocket. The unemployment rate's one of the lowest in history. There's just, there's not any critical event yet besides being a clown, quite frankly, that, and that's not going to turn votes, being a clown. Stay tuned. That's just part of what's ahead in our bonus content. More conversation coming up after this week's edition of In Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. I wished he had made a different statement, uh, but I think that now that has uh, been uh, clarified. Former Indiana Senator Dan Coates speaking out Thursday in so many ways. He's been caught in the middle of this controversy over Russia with new questions about his role as director of national intelligence. Some suggesting he should step down in the wake of the president's stunning remarks on Russia. Our Matt Smith has more. My people came to me, Dan Coates came to me and some others. They said they think it's Russia. Uh, I have uh, President Putin. Uh, he just said it's not Russia. I will say this. I don't see any reason why it would be. In a key sentence in my remarks, I said the word would instead of wouldn't. The sentence should have been, I don't see any reason why I wouldn't or why it wouldn't be Russia. President Trump just days after U.S. officials indict 12 Russians for hacking in the 2016 election and days after the nation's top intelligence officer, former Indiana Senator Dan Coats, warned of the ongoing dangers of Russian cyber attacks. It's their intent to undermine our basic values, undermine democracy. I have... Um never worked with a more honorable uh, man than Dan Coates. He um, oozes integrity out of every pore. Uh, he is motivated by a sense of patriotism and duty uh, to the security and the safety of this nation. And I would tell anyone uh, to heed his advice and his counsel. Um, he's a straight shooter and uh, it was an honor for me to work with him and I would um, trust and hang on every word that he shares. I think you've got to assume there was some pretty tough talk inside the White House in advance of that correction uh, by intelligence chiefs who may very well have threatened to resign. The world saw once again that President Donald Trump stands without apology as leader of the free world. Is Russia still targeting the U.S., Mr. President? Thank Press, you very let's much. Go. Election officials across the country are scrambling ahead of the midterms to prevent any other future hacking. Indiana will receive nearly $7.6 million from Congress to do so. Marion County recently underwent an audit with state and federal officials testing different scenarios for any potential problem. People, you know, throughout the country uh, have begun to question the integrity of uh, various election uh, systems. And so we did think it was a good idea to uh, help the state in making sure that our election systems were uh, secure. All right, Matt Smith there with the latest. Matt, thanks. Meantime, mixed reaction from Indiana lawmakers on Twitter. Congressman Todd Rokita defended both the president and Dan Coats, also calling for an end to the Mueller probe. Congressman Jim Banks, who's been a critic of the president's on Russia, said, I want President Trump's diplomatic efforts to be successful, but I'll take the word of a Hoosier over Putin any day. Meantime, South Bend mayor and potential Democratic presidential candidate Pete Buttigieg went much further, saying... Uh, this is about the future. A president who, who denies the last attack from Russia will not protect us from the next one. He cannot fulfill his oath of office. He must go, said Buttigieg. Of course, also this other news on Michael Cohen as well Friday for the president. But back to this 
Dan Coates story. I got more reaction on Friday from Indiana lawmakers, including Senator Todd Young. You sit on the Foreign Relations Committee, so I want to ask you about everything we've seen this past week. President Trump's summit with Vladimir Putin. What was your reaction to what he said there, his attempt to clarify what he meant to say? Are you concerned by the events of this past week? Vladimir Putin is a bully. He's clearly America's adversary. Uh, he's trying to reclaim territory that the Soviet Union once had a domain over. Uh, he's trying to disrupt the NATO alliance. He's trying to uh, disrupt U.S. foreign policy. I think what's clear is that our intelligence community, led by Director of National Intelligence Dan Coats, who's a Hoosier, who I served with as fellow senators um, for a while, um, it's clear the intelligence shows that Russia has interfered with our elections. The evidence is clear. The president has access to the evidence, yet he refuses to condemn this dictator. The greater question becomes, what does the Russian government have on our president? Next week, the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, on which I sit, will be holding a bipartisan hearing uh, where we'll be asking probing questions of Secretary of State Pompeo about this very issue, and I look forward to learning more. Do you think the president is listening to Dan Coats? Should he be more? I think uh, we should all be listening to Dan Coates, and uh, that's what I'll continue to do. All right, here now with Senate candidate Mike Braun. Thank you so much for being with us. Hey, today. You're welcome. I want to start with some of the news from this week. The president certainly made a lot of headlines uh, overseas this week in the summit with Finland. In a statement this week, you said Russia is not our friend, but you also said you believe the commander-in-chief is rightly focused on the future while the media continues to relitigate the 2016 election. The media is not putting words in his mouth here necessarily. He said what he said at that yeah. press conference with Putin. Do you defend those remarks? So I always look at the context of where something comes from. And you got to remember, uh, not only with Russia, with Syria, with all these events, North Korea, this is compiled over uh, at least a couple decades. So he has had a lot of problems laid in his lap. And I think that he has got all of them at the point where the dynamics changing. There were a lot of problems that when he took office that were caused by prior administrations. And the thing I like about him is he's changing the dynamic. But some have said he appeared to take the side of Vladimir Putin over Dan Coats in that press conference. Did you see it that way? And I think Dan Coates and others in the intelligence community are going to be giving him advice, and that's going to be something that he's always going to take into consideration. And again, I wouldn't define it as being at odds with or opposed to on that given... Why not? I mean, a lot of well, people have said this was, some have even called it treasonous. Well, no, whether you use that, I, I mean, some can say that, and that's what's wrong with the discussion out there in this day and age. I think that you got to remember, this was one press event, one meeting to try to resolve a problem that has been stewing for a long time. And yes, there would be an apparent difference between Dan Coates' advice and maybe the way he laid it out, but I still don't think that's the end all. This is, it wasn't all going to be solved in one meeting or in one press conference. Should and he be trusting his intelligence officials? I think he does trust think his, he does. yes, and I think he takes that all into consideration. And I think what the media and many others want to do is take any nuance, and this might be more than a nuance to some. It's not the last discussion on it. And then you're not giving him credit for the fact that we're making headway on issues 
where nothing was happening over as much as a decade or two. But so, some have suggested this merely elevated Putin and Russia. Well, I mean, that's their opinion, and I don't, I don't think you that's don't the think case. So. I think that, uh, see what happens down the road. If you think that everything was determined on that one meeting and that press conference, you might have that opinion. I view it otherwise. Uh, on another topic... These are much too complicated to try to get through it in one meeting, because remember, it took decades to get where we are. And, and they're big issues, no and doubt. They are very big issues. Continue to be in the news in, yes. in the Senate for for whoever wins uh, this election here in Indiana and across the country. Uh, on another topic, some were critical of you and your campaign for not being clear last week uh, on where you stood on the Curtis Hill controversy yeah. here in Indiana. Do you want to see him step down? First of all, sexual harassment, whether it's in the workplace uh, where you work or whether it's. Uh, if you've got a political job, it can't, you know, be tolerated. It is something that everybody knows is, uh, you know, not good. And in the case of uh, Curtis, I think where uh, our leadership, uh, both uh, Bosma and Long and the governor, you know, vetted it carefully and have handed it to the inspector general, I think that's the right process. And I think from everything I've seen, uh, and we did have to clarify it, you know, maybe uh, for Curtis's sake and the state's, you know, maybe he ought to step down and he should. You know, that's kind of where I was at and that's where current leadership is and it's going through a process. And I'm anxious to see the report back from the IG. You mentioned clarifying it because you had said earlier uh, you thought it was his right to defend the I think everybody the always has an issue of due process in mind and I think others had the same. But to make it clear, uh, in this case, uh, I think that uh, leadership who had been around this issue for a good while, I don't think they would have come out without feeling comfortable about what to do, and, you know, I back that decision. You believe the women making the accusations? I do. All right. Let's talk about this race for Senate. Uh, you were ahead in a recent poll yep. by a couple of points. You outraised Senator Donnelly in this last fundraising cycle, but he still has quite a bit more cash on hand. Uh, you've been out raising money for the campaign since uh, the primary. Uh, some have criticized you for being out of state to raise money, not being more visible. How do you walk that line, campaigning here and raising the money that you need to win this race? Well, Democrats have that main advantage. In the eight or nine seats that uh, I think are in play, uh, all Democrats hold an advantage. They're the incumbents. They've had six years to stage you know, for this. So. Uh, all of us, as Republicans, I think, have a better message. Uh, we have the message of tax reform. You know, Joe Donnelly voted for Obamacare, you know, back when he was a congressman and was a deciding vote against it. Uh, he voted against tax reform and a lot of other stuff that's on his record. And all of us are going to need the funds to make the case, to litigate it in a way where I think this is going to be a lot easier than the primary because philosophically we were all very similar. Mike Braun, we thank you for being with us. We know we'll be seeing you out on the campaign trail. The debates, a couple of debates scheduled. I know you mentioned you'd like to see uh, even more. Yeah. All right. We'll be seeing you on the campaign trail. Thank you very I much. I appreciate it. You bet. Mike Braun, thank you so much. More with Braun and Senator Donnelly next week. Up next, we'll talk with our panel about this Russia summit backlash and how it's kind of put Hoosier Republicans in a tough spot defending Dan Coats while the VP defends the president. Plus... We touched on it there with Mike Braun, but up next we'll have the latest on the Curtis Hill controversy and how the AG is now fighting back. All right, we're joined now by our panel, Indy Star columnist Tim Swearens here today, along with two former state lawmakers, Democrat Christina Hale 
and Republican yeah. Mike Murphy. Let's talk about the, uh, the many Indiana connections to the biggest story in the world this week, President Trump and Vladimir Putin. And, of course, it was a Hoosier, Dan Coats, who found himself in the middle of this uh, backlash that then got backtracked. Nonetheless, a uh, pretty interesting set of circumstances for Dan Coats this week. Well, you know, Dan Coates, I've known him since 1989 or 90. He is as solid as can be, and as the governor said, I'd trust that guy with my life. Um, but, you know, he is a man of character. His, he stood with his assessment. After uh, uh, Trump had made his statement next to Putin, he went back and reiterated his, his assessment later in the day. He was not going to back down from the Some president. Some said he went rogue I don't from th the no. administration. I think, I think he had an obligation to, on behalf of the intelligence community and for the people of the United States, to give an honest assessment. And he wanted to make sure people know, yes, this is the assessment, despite what the president said over in Helsinki. Meantime, you have all of this Michael Cohen news that came out on Friday, uh, the, the Russia summit, the Russia investigation, these other investigations tied to the Russia investigation. It certainly feels like uh, this is building toward a lot of controversy in the coming weeks. And that's really what this administration has been, a buildup of controversy. I mean, we've discussed it a number of times on this panel. This is just one constant, crazy news cycle, and it does not let up. So it does feel like, yes, we are pregnant with this big, ugly baby, and we just want to get it out, right? <laughs> but it never comes. It never comes. It's just one thing after another. So sometimes I think we lose some of the subtleties and some issues that should be discussed, like the president's comments towards the European Union that just get lost because it's crazy after crazy. A lot of people were stunned at those comments in comparison to what he said there about Russia. Tim, your thoughts on this this past week, the president, Dan Coates, all, all of it. Another extraordinary week. And, and I think, you know, Dan Coates was not rogue. He was telling the truth. Now, if telling the truth makes you rogue in the Trump White House, yeah. that's a problem. Uh, and that may well be the case. But he was standing up for what what is best for our country. And we should respect that. He was doing his job for certain. And meantime, uh, Coates, as we've said, very interesting reaction when he was told at this summit in Colorado this past week that Trump was inviting Putin to Washington later this year. Here's how that went down. Coming Did I hear the... you? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be special. <laughs> Coates uh, calling Russia the most aggressive cyber adversary the U.S. currently faces. And while some may have chuckled at that clip, it was fairly telling in a way as well. It was, but I don't blame the president actually for that or Coates. I blame bad staff work in the White House. It was somebody's job in the White House to tell the director of national intelligence, particularly when he's going to be appearing at a national forum, that yes, Putin is coming to town in September. That announcement came out while he was speaking. Yeah, Some horrible. have wondered yeah. even if that timing may have been purposeful. I don't know if that, you can't, you can't judge that, but it was a great uh, Dana Carvey uh, <laughs> yeah. impression. I, Mike Church Murphy lady. just stole my Special, joke. Yeah. I, I want everyone to know that Mike Murphy just stole my <laughs> joke. But we are living at the speed of Twitter these days. You right. expect people in power to have that heads up, to know that we're working from some kind of structure and administration that has, um, it's, it's organized. And when you have somebody like Dan Coates finding out on stage in front of an empowered group being interviewed by Andrea Mitchell, and that's a surprise moment, then you know something's wrong. 
it was something else. Uh, go back to July 13th, and, and Dan Coates was at another forum, and he talked very plainly and very urgently about the threat that Russia poses, and particularly poses in this year, later this year in the he, election. He even said it was reminiscent to before 9-11. Yes, very strong language. Uh, Fast forward a few days, and the president is bringing Dan Coates' name up at the press conference and essentially siding with Putin over his director of national intelligence. And then I think it's not by accident that Dan Coates finds himself on stage unaware of what the White House was announcing. There was something else. Meantime, there were reports that it was the vice president and secretary of state Mike Pompeo who both urged the president to clarify his remarks on Russia earlier in the week. But as we saw earlier on this program, the vice president very publicly defending the president this past week through all of this controversy. Yeah, I was. I mean, he's he's got to do what he's got to do. Um, but if you go back to the, what the good thing that Pence did was to convince the president to walk back that statement, and then even then the president didn't do it completely. The New York Times has a great picture of where Trump, with his own pen, uh, actually crossed out a pretty important line in that statement, and then went ahead and gave a statement that wasn't really, you know, in line with what he had promised to do. So. You know, I look at it, Mike Pence and Dan Coats stood up for America this week, and the president did not. Were other Indiana Republicans in a tough spot defending Dan Coats, but also with the vice president defending the president? A lot of them defended Dan Coats, but didn't really specifically call out the president for saying what he said. They were, they were soft in criticizing yeah. the president. They stood up against Russia, which I think is always safe uh, if you're a Republican in Indiana. Uh, they, they left out any comment about the president. How do Democrats look at this from across the aisle in this midterm election year? Well, you know, I think it's interesting that uh, uh, Putin might be coming to our country in October. You know, Could many, be right have, before the many have discussed that's the October surprise. I can't surprise. imagine Mitch McConnell wants to see that. And that yeah. must be just loaded and fraught with all kinds of worry and interest. So Democrats really are trying to chessboard this out to figure out what does this all mean and why aren't Republicans singing from the same song sheet? Yes, Vice President Pence did softly, uh, softly defend, I would say, Dan Coates, not knowing what's going to happen, but we know the whispers in Washington, yeah. or he's the next to go. We'll see. Let's talk now about Attorney General Curtis Hill. Some have been calling for him to go, but despite the groping accusations, the AG continues to make appearances across the state. This past week, the Marion County Prosecutor's Office disputed a claim by Hill's lawyers that the Inspector General doesn't have the jurisdiction to conduct an investigation into the claims by those four women. Friday, I tried to ask Hill about the allegations. Can you respond to some of the controversy over how your office has handled the situation? Why haven't you been willing to answer questions about what happened? Sir, are you going to continue to fight these accusations? Uh, not wanting uh, to talk with us. We've seen him uh, at the press conference, but he has not uh, answered any questions from reporters yet about what happened. Where is all of this headed? Well, I, if I knew, I'd be a multimillionaire. I really don't know, and I'm not an attorney. But I can tell you that here's a case, much like Trump, where Curtis Hill asked for a, a special investigation, this independent prosecutor, and then when he gets what he wants, all of a sudden he files a motion in court to stop the judge from naming the special prosecutor. It's, it's, it's very bizarre. I do know that some of the victims have already talked to the sex crimes unit, so the detectives are doing their work, and we just kind of have to wait and let them do their work. And he continues to, to make public appearances, do these drug take-back events and other things uh, around the state, trying to press on with his... Uh, with his duties, uh, can he, will he be successful at uh, avoiding this spotlight? 
I think he'll be very successful in pursuing this activity. I think he will be out there trying his best, but I'll tell you, he's not going to be able to avoid the spotlight because he has to answer for these accusations no matter what. We cannot have our Indiana Attorney General um, being involved with these kinds of accusations, telegraphing to the world that it's okay. You know, he can get away with it, so perhaps you shouldn't report when these things happen to you when you have a creepy incident in a bar. Only this time it happens to be the Attorney General. And the governor continues to say he thinks Hill should step down and feels he had no choice to, to, but to call for his resignation. As he should. It is unacceptable that the Attorney General is in this position. Um, but he is digging trenches. He is. He's going to fight this as long as he possibly can. Uh, we've never had an elected leader in Indiana, a state leader, removed by impeachment. Uh, we may have to go down that path to have him removed from we'll office. We'll see what happens next. His attorneys this week trying to point out discrepancies in the report and statements that uh, the state lawmaker there says are, she are, never... There are discrepancies, but that's just sloppy uh, legal work on the, the part of the Taft law firm. Yeah. I mean, they didn't check the legal memo before they turned it in. IGA doesn't really have uh, power to investigate, but I'll say this kind of behavior, you know, if you look at common practices, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's rarely right. just one night, one incident. There should be, you know, a, a breadth and a history of this. So we should also be seeing other we'll see incidents. see what else. Yeah. We'll, we'll see what else is out road. there. But, yeah. but that also helps you understand the Curtis Hill strategy of going hard after the victims. All right. We've got to leave it there. We'll be back with our panel for this week's Winners and Losers. But up next, another big win for Indianapolis, our city in the sports spotlight once again. All right, great news for the Circle City this week. The Final Four coming back to Indy once again this week, we learned, will host yet again in 2026. That'll mark the ninth time we've hosted the Final Four. Indy will also host the Final Four in 2021. Remember this, when Butler was in it in 2010? We'll be back right after this to wrap things up. All right, let's wrap it up with this week's winners and losers. Tim. Winners, Dan Coates for Standing Up for America. Loser, Curtis Hill for the second week in a row. Appreciate Dan Coates' efforts. The winners, women who, the women accused who are standing up strong to Curtis Hill during difficult times. The winner has to be Dan Coates for his steadfastness, his integrity, and his patriotism. All right, we're going to talk about more of this on our podcast. Hope you can join us and hope you can join us next week right here in Focus. Okay, with our panel, as we talk more about everything that happened this week on our podcast, uh, really pretty stunning, everything that we've seen transpire over the last few days. It, it really has, but <laughs> we've had so many weeks like this in the last couple of years. Uh, it was about two weeks, uh, two years ago this week that uh, Mike Pence accepted the nomination the Republican as vice convention. president. That's you right. Start, you start we were there. looking back, all of the history that's unfolded over the past two years and how earth-shattering in some cases that has been this week just adds to that and when you talk about the russia investigation you talk about those dates we all remember in 2016 when we were at the convention or in new york city as the as mike pence was named the running mate and and so many things that have come out since then about some of those dates um in the news two years ago it is it, it continues to be the election that seems uh, to never end, and that's been a point that some Republicans and defenders of the president sure. have said I mean, that, that this is nothing but relitigating. As you and I stood there in Cleveland in 2016, as crazy as things have been up to that point, you and I could never have imagined how crazy it would be between July of 2016 and July of 2018. You still have a president who is obsessed with Hillary Clinton. I mean, she 
you know, she is just, she's yesterday's news, quite frankly, and he just will not give it up. It's, it's uh, really strange. Will this be a turning point in any way amongst the president's supporters? We asked that after Charlottesville. We asked that other, after other controversies. Uh, will there be Republicans who, who look at this and say, what, well, what, why did he say this um, about Russia, about we, Putin? We continue to ask that question. I continue to get whiplash from it. You keep thinking, yes, 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 but no, it never happens. I think what will happen is once he has a proper next uh, opponent, then we're going to see a shift in his rhetoric and attention to the race before him. I think um, the stakes will be ever so much higher for President Trump then, and it might recontextualize the way he's, he's looking at everything that he does. Um, it's going to be very different because this time he's got so much to lose. And last time he didn't quite believe that he'd win. What do you but, think, Tim? Was this the turning point? A lot point? of it depends on who Democrats nominate for That's 2020. True too. Uh, it, 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 there are not a lot of uh, strong candidates right now. There are a lot of candidates, but not a lot of strong candidates. It may be what we saw from the GOP two years ago. There may be a dozen or more candidates on the Democratic right. side. Right, and we saw what Donald Trump did to the 16 other Republican candidates. Right. But as, but as you look at the Democratic potential candidates right now, you've got Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, Joe Biden, who will be nearly 80 years old when it comes around. No, I mean, 74. 74. Yeah. Eric That's, Holder, yeah. consider yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, there's just, there's just, there's no, there's no the mayor South Bend appeal to the broader, yeah. the broader electorate. Now, the other problem with, with you know, saying, has this been a turning point for Trump for, in a bad way? No, because the 35 or 40% of the country who will die for him um, thinks he's doing the right thing. They enjoy what he's doing. Somebody's finally speaking for me. And then some of the more moderate um, you know, business-oriented Republicans, stock market's doing well. They got money in their pocket. The unemployment rate's one of the lowest in history. There's just, there's not any critical event yet besides being a clown, quite frankly, that, and that's not going to turn votes, being a clown. We it's, could, it's, yeah. the, it's the money We could see the implications, right. you know, with this trade war, with the tariffs, with what happens for what Indiana farmers. We didn't talk about tariffs on the program. Yeah. Jackie Wilarski uh, this week and gave some really staggering figures Hoosier about what farmers are nervous. Hoosiers were experiencing. Right. I mean, it's white knuckle time. We don't know. And it... The president's playing a really dangerous game with tariffs. Uh, he's, he said that trade wars are easy to win. I believe that's his quote on that. Uh, well, there's reason to be skeptical of that, obviously. And, and, and that's the one thing I think that could turn this, is if, if the economy starts to falter, uh, and it really could because of these tariffs, I think a lot of people who have supported Trump, who are very uncomfortable with how he acts and the things he says, but if the economy starts to falter, then it's a big reason to turn against it. And to him. your point, too, you know, he seems very unhappy with raising of the um, interest rate, and his eyes seems to be half on that, too. Um, we'll have to see how this all plays out in people's pocketbooks and at the kitchen table. And in 2016, I was a surrogate speaker for Jeb Bush in Iowa. And it's this little town with a bad snowstorm. And I get there, and we got our clocks cleaned. Frankly, Jeb Bush got two votes. Maybe it's because I was speaking for him. I don't know. But I sat Were down. Were you low energy or not? <laughs> you tried to yeah. bring, yeah. okay. bring more energy. But I sat down with a You're farmer. You're talking about Buchanan and Nathan. <laughs> yeah. okay. I sat down with a farmer, typical farmer with the DeKalb hat on and the blue, uh, the blue overalls. And I said, okay, you know, we lost tonight. Tell me something. Why is it you seem like an intelligent guy? Why is it you're for Trump? And he said, you know, we've just had nobody speaking for us for so long. 
And I'm not a big fan of his, but let's give him four years. If he doesn't do a good job, I'll be ready to throw him out too, which is I thought was a pretty honest comment. Hmm, right. You know, I think a lot of us uh, in the media and, and other uh, places where we're looking at some issues, we, know, we see Donald Trump act like a wrecking ball, and we shudder at that. But there are a lot of people who voted for Donald Trump with the hopes that he would be a wrecking ball. Exactly. And nobody likes to hear, I told you so either so you kind of put that off as long as you possibly can you, you know well I told you this about women I told you this about trade I told you this about his character and they just don't want to hear it it'll be fascinating to see what happens uh, let's briefly uh, talk about Curtis Hill as well because that controversy as we mentioned on the program continues to make a lot of news in Indiana um, I tried to talk to him about it on Friday but uh, obviously still not answering questions about this could we see impeachment proceedings in the well, legislature? Well, you could, you you could as a threat. I doubt that that moves forward. I don't think it will actually go to no, that. No, I don't think it gets to that point, because that could be a very expensive mm -hmm. uh, threat to follow through on. But I can see Bosma and Long and maybe the governor or their, their significant staffers going to, to, uh, to um, Curtis Hill and saying, we're going to impeach you. You've got so many days to make a decision. And, and see what happens. He's lawyering up. We don't know how he's paying for all this. I'm, you, know, you mentioned Tim that he doesn't have a lot of money account. left in the bank. Well, he doesn't have a lot of money left in the bank right, account. Right. So who's paying for this? That brings up its own of social set of media ads. That brings up his own, that. Its own right. set of questions. And why impeach when he can be disbarred first, which would render him uh, ineligible for the office? The longer this drags out, does he begin to uh, just by attrition start to win some sort of momentum battle as other stories enter the news? And this isn't talked about every single day to the extent it was the first week or two. I think that's part of his strategy is to wait it out. We'll I think, if, I think if there's not new facts or there's not, um, not explanation of facts or, or elucidation right. of Video facts, tape. whatever the word is, yeah, yeah. then I think he begins to gain the momentum. But they also, he also risks uh, becoming a caricature of himself, in which case he becomes not, not sympathetic, but um, even sad, a sad character in which case he loses all effectiveness even if he stays. The, the one thing he has working in his favor is that there were errors in the original report and those errors, there was a serious error. From the law firm in Ohio that was commissioned Yes, and those, by those were serious and, and those, the, the, the truth did not come out on that until after the governor and others called on Curtis Hill to resign. So he is, he's harping on that fact, he's, he's fo focusing on that and saying that there was a rush to judgment, which is his basic argument, uh, and he's pointing to that as evidence of the rush to judgment. The, the Taft, and by the way, they have a big office here in Indianapolis mm. as well, but the Taft law firm put together their report and from all indications, never talked to any of the victims. They got this, we remember, we gotta remember, that first the victims were interviewed by legislative leadership and senior staff, okay? Senior staff in the Senate, senior staff in the House. And they, LSA, I believe. Yeah, an LSA. They took those secondhand stories. It's like playing legal telephone. They took those secondhand stories and turned those into, into a memo and said, Speaker Bosma, President Pro Tem Long, you don't have any legal liability. Well, and it was here. an odd situation because technically they weren't tasked with investigating this per right. se. They were being asked by legislative leaders what their responsibility was in this situation, what their legal responsibility how they should was, handle the situation. There's a, there's a professional and ethical. Yes. Uh, obligation on a part on the part of regardless, attorneys, you're saying they should have to yeah, into they what should have talked to the direct to sources, the and accusers. all indications are they didn't. 
So in, in some cases, there were, as you said, Tim, there's some significant distortions that created horrible inaccuracies and, and destroys the credibility of that report, even though the allegations are credible. The other and thing we don't that know happened how that happened. That the, the, the law firm was commissioned, this is not a slap in the law firm, the law firm was commissioned to look at what were the legal liability that legislative leaders had since these allegations had been brought to them. Nobody stepped back and said, this, we're talking about the Indiana Attorney General, should this person be serving in office with these types of things going on. And had that memo now in question not been, been leaked, leaked, we may still we would not, not have about any this of discussion this right? if it weren't for because, the Indy because Stars the memo reporting concluded, on that memo. Which was the scope of the, of the quote unquote investigation. The memo concluded that the legislative leadership was not legally liable, uh, that it wouldn't have been considered uh, um, a hostile environment, hostile work environment, uh, if the Attorney General stayed in office and those employees stayed on their jobs. It was more about liability and how they should handle it internally. Protecting themselves. And the accused, or sorry, the, the, the accusers had not made the choice yet to, to come, come public and to come point. forward. Right. I still say it was sloppy legal work. Hmm. How do you put out a legal memo based on hearsay, which is essentially right. what it is. I mean, right. we heard she said that. We heard he did this. And so we write a legal memo? That's. that's I, I agree, yes. it was very sloppy work. What I'm trying to get is that the legislative leadership didn't step back and say, we've got a bigger problem here than the you're question of whether a, we're legally well, liable. You're saying I, there's a lot of blame to go around. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get some proper protocols in place because if they were there, then we would know exactly right. what to do and how to handle this because these sorts of issues happen in the state house all of the time. There, and, and, and when you go to the Speaker of the House and say, hey, this happened, there should be... Um, and there are a number of there are a number of office holders there, men and women empowered in office, statewide office. They could this could happen at any time. We should be prepared. But I will tell you, in defense of Bosman and Long, um, these women, as a group collectively, from what I understand, made the decision they didn't want this to become public. They didn't want to go to the police. They didn't want to file a complaint. They wanted essentially an apology and a promise. I'm, I'm paraphrasing greatly here. But they essentially wanted an apology and a commitment that this was never going to happen again so that it wouldn't happen to other women. Now, they may have been a little bit naive there. It, they are naive. And you know well, what? If you are in a management position in a company in Indiana and someone comes to you and right. says, this happened to me on the job, this happened to me from a colleague, then it's, it's too late. The victim doesn't get to own the story from that part because the manager has legal obligations regarding reporting and dealing with the prescribed channels that are set out in a But in order to prosecute somebody has to file a complaint in the end. But that's not even, we're not even we're talking not about, about prosecution. prosecution. We're talking about just general employee policies. This right. happens on the job. What happens next? What's step two, step yeah. three, step four? St standard HR yes. procedures for handling these types of things. And it, it seems like that's severely lacking inside State House. All right. We got to leave it there. Plenty more to talk about next week, I'm sure. Tim Swearens, Christina Hale, Mike Murphy. Thank you so much. We'll Thanks see you next us. week. Absolutely. Thank you.